Welcome to London Lopate at Large. I'm London Lopate, and you're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM online at WBAI.org. As regular listeners to our show know, there are a few building issues that our favorite masters of home repair, Alvin and Lawrence Hugh Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, don't know how to fix. Over the years, they have inspired millions of hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as the household hints and safety editor with Family Circle magazine for over two decades. He was a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years, also on ABC's uh, Talk Radio Network for five years. And we've been doing shows together for 43 years now. Lawrence is the president and chief inspector of Accurate Building Inspectors, and he's been a regular on these shows for the past three decades. As the New York metropolitan area starts to ease back into reopening, we have asked Alvin and Larry to suggest some of the ways that we can make this transition as safe as possible and what businesses can do to protect the safety of their employees and customers. Alvin and, and Lawrence Ubell join us now to offer their especially valuable, valuable expert advice during these uncertain times. Um, and we invite you to join the discussion. You can give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Alvin and Larry, welcome back to our show. Hey, how are you? Hi, hi uh, Now, Larry, since so many people are trapped in their homes and businesses have been forced to make many adjustments during this pandemic, has that meant that your, your company has been getting lots of calls? Well, they can not call really. us. If, oh, Larry, not Larry, really. you take it. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I asked Larry that question. Alvin, I'll ask you a question in a moment. <laughs> okay. Not really. I mean, our, what I've noticed is that actually the, the business of buying and selling property has gotten mm. back into the swing of things. Um, we, we basically had a, you know, a three-month vacation in the real estate industry, and then we got back into it as I think as we got control to a certain degree of the spread where people understood what we needed to do to be around each other safely. And the buying and selling of real estate is not a mass gathering event. It's usually only a few people and everyone takes the proper precautions of wearing masks, washing hands and keeping social distancing. Uh, but I have to say that what comes to mind for me, and since a large preponderance of heating equipment in New York, especially the newer buildings, all use circulated forced air for heating and for air conditioning, my recommendation is to change and clean the filters a little bit more often so you don't have a buildup of whatever is in the air in the filter and recontaminating the air. And so that would be my major recommendation as far as uh, trying to be healthier. As far as people trying to be better, uh, be more safe and secure in this, you know, our limited reopening, I think we just have to keep doing what's been working, which is wear masks and keep your distance and wash your hands. That seems to be the effective way right now. Um, and just try to, uh, you know, stay in your own pods to a certain degree of the people that you know and uh, just keep uh, those distances. I have to say 
that my wife yesterday or two days ago had a COVID test done for a medical procedure. And that was a positive because it, it came that was a positive thing to do because it came back negative, which we live together. We're together. So by extension, that probably means that I don't have it either. And so I think that is what Congratulations. we say. Yeah, well, I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just that I think that um, we need to, you know, take this extremely seriously. And, you know, like many of us feel, we've made it this far without getting uh, uh, getting the illness. Let's see if we can go the rest of the way. You know, On another front, Alvin, I understand that you're a member of uh, a national group that promotes stair safety. Is it true that stair accidents are second only to automobile accidents? Yeah, that that's the thing. Lawrence is is involved in, in the the homes and and fixing them up. People buying houses uh, or or apartments or whatever it is. I'm involved in uh, in people getting injured. I we work for attorneys, and what we do is we provide expert testimony and reports on what took place and accidents, regardless of the uh, pandemic. People still keep falling down and downstairs and off of curbs, sidewalks, getting hit by cars and everything else. And that continues to go on. The idea is uh, that I'm involved in is trying to resolve some of the issues of who's at fault when someone injures themselves. And that's what I do. Uh, I, I say that uh, a preponderance of conditions that are around us like stair accidents, as we said before, is second to uh, automobile accidents. And I always say, watch your step, hold on. But also sometimes the people who are responsible for maintaining the stairs and stuff like that are neglectful. And they have broken stairs, stairs that are not built right, stairs that are designed and put together by amateurs, and uh, stairs that don't have handrails. The handrails on any stair... Regardless of what the law requires or doesn't require, stairs, any stair, even if it's only two steps or a single step, should have handrails. Absolutely. Because if you trip and fall, it's good to have something to hold on to to prevent you from tripping and falling. So if you're going to court over an accident uh, and there, were, was, there wasn't a handrail, who is held responsible? The person who fell? Uh, who didn't take care of him or herself, well, or the well, or the person who should who who owned the building or whatever uh, and was responsible for putting up handrails. In other words, the the person who is generally responsible is the one who has to one who either built the hand uh, the stairway or the handrail, the one who owns the stairway or handrail. Uh, I'll give you an example: uh, the New York City Transit Authority, in their great wisdom, they found out that if they replaced all of the handrails, which were before many years ago, were made out of wood and rusted uh, uh, pipeways and everything else, they replaced them all with stainless steel. People now are grasping them and has reduced the accident rates in the Transit Authority and, the, and their superstructure throughout the city of New York. Uh, people are not going to grab hold of a handrail that looks dirty, disgusting, not painted, not clean, let alone touch it. Nobody's going to grasp a hold of it, even to save their own lives. And that is, that, is, that is something that everybody knows about. 
Does it matter whether we're talking about just a couple of steps or lots of steps, Larry? No, well, it's a single. A, you want to know something? A single. Step. Either one of you, okay? I don't care. A single step stair in the line of travel is an accident waiting to happen because people will not perceive that the step is dangerous. The other thing is that what handrails tend to do more than anything else is it's a visual cue for people to see, to anticipate what's going to come to them. So like when you even just walking on the street and you see the curb coming up, you adjust your walking stride to accommodate for that step up that's going to come, and you don't even think about it. Even the stepping up and down of steps is something that your brain makes those calculations that you, your, your foot, you reach, whether you're going up the steps or down the steps, you reach for the first step, and your brain takes a measurement, and it repeats that measurement over and over and over until you get to the top of the step, and then you adjust your steps again once you're at the landing, and now you go to a regular walking stride. This is all going on inside your head called the, uh, uh, called the, uh, motor, uh, the automotive the function. The psychomotor function. Thank you, the psychomotor function. And so what happens is that when something is a little off, whether the handrail is not in the right place or the tread, hot, the, the heights of the risers, the height from step to step, is just a little bit off, as much as a quarter of an inch, that throws off your leg, your, your stride, and you will trip. And that's why a lot of times you'll see people stripping, and they set up a camera in a New York City subway uh, stairs where dozens of people kept tripping in exactly the same state, place for the same reason. So this is something that's very not only uh, structural, but it's very scientific. And, and okay. there is a whole bunch of physical, physiological reasons of why trip and falls occur. There was an architect 2,000 years ago by the name of Vertuvius in, mm -hmm. in the court of Julius Caesar. He, did, he designed at that time that if you could make the stairs consistent, equal, congruent, each step is identical to the next step, he found out that he saved many accidents in, in the, during the Roman Empire. And that, and that technology has gone through to this day. And yet we still find to this day that stairs are unequal, they're broken, they're twisted, they're out of level, they don't drain properly, they're slippery, and this causes all the accidents. The idea is that climbing a stair, whether you're going up, is like climbing up a mountain. Going down is like climbing down a mountain. That, and each, each step, when you fall down, you strike each step as you go all the way down to the bottom. That's like dry, that's like hitting an outcropping on a mountain. Should we be more careful if the steps are made of, of metal rather than wood or, or carpeted? Well, well, metal steps are good industrial stairs. I don't like them for, for residential or uh, non-commercial usage because uh, metal generally is quite smooth. It, uh, it's not absorbent. It has, uh, has, it has low frictional resistance. Uh, stair, uh, metal stairs on the outside of buildings is an accident waiting to happen. Uh, you have a, a, a stair on the exterior of a building and it rains on it. Mm. Rainwater or water is, is, a, is a lubricant so that when you step on a metal step, 
with water on it, you're going to be slipping off that step and have an accident. And soon we're going to have ice on those steps as well, because we have, we're just a couple of days into fall, and I want to get into uh, what we should be doing now uh, with the uh, knowing that uh, fall is, is uh, upon us. Uh, but I, again, I want to remind our listeners, if they want to join this discussion and ask the U-Bells any questions or um, talk about some problems that they've been facing, the number to call is 212 209 2877. That's 212-209-2877. So uh, it's, it's your, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to put in one last thing, is that as, home, as I do home inspections and apartment inspections, where I find the defect in steps are the most common is after a renovation, when someone wants to either add a floor or a new floor surface on top of an existing floor surface, and what they've done is they've either raised the top step or the landing by sometimes as much as an inch. And the same thing happens mm. at the bottom if you want to put a floor in. So what ends up happening is one of two things. Either they trip at the top step and they fall right flat on their face onto where the landing is. Or at the bottom, because the step is not low enough, they jam their foot down into the ground and hurt their knees and ankles. So it's, it, people, I know people have experienced this. And that's why that happens. So it's really important to know what you're doing and calculating those heights and measurements. And so, like I said, being off is even as much as a quarter of an inch can really throw off the stride and the geometry of the steps. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. And my guests are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell, uh, also known as Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York, and regular contributors to this show. A reminder that uh, you can join the conversation by calling us at 212-209-2877. Alvin, you wanted to add something? Yes. Uh, the thing is that, like Larry uh, uh, introduced, is that people come in and they repair the stair. Well, you, the law is you're allowed to repair the stair, but you have to be conscious of what the law and what the industry standard is the stairs. Stairs are technical engineering devices that could injure someone or could save someone. And, and if you don't want know what the rules are and you repair the stairs in, inappropriately, you are going to be held culpable to the accidents that happen on that set of stairs. Not only is the owner of the house to be culpable, but the person who repaired it. If you hire someone and doesn't have insurance to, uh, in the, when they do something defective, that's called cause and create. They cause and create a condition that causes someone to have an accident. They are culpable to that accident. Let's talk about some of the other things that we're about to uh, have to deal with. Uh, heating units now have to be uh, considered. Uh, we've had a number of, uh, of uh, people die because uh, their, their generators have created uh, carbon monoxide. Uh, is, there, uh, is this something that uh, is a, an issue in our area? This is, uh, this is, that's Larry's domain. <laughs> Go ahead, Larry. It is, it is an issue in our area, and I have to say that unless whatever you're using 
is using natural gas for combustion purposes, it must be outside. Okay, whether it's using uh, kerosene, uh, gasoline, um, fuel oil, or whatever other source of fuel, it needs to be outside and ventilated. All those other types of combustion equipment create and make carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is highly deadly, and it will kill you in almost no time at all because the carbon monoxide bonds with your blood better than the oxygen, and it will kill quickly. So, so whether you are so whether you are using okay you know, a jet whether you're using a generator a a generator or a, uh, a kerosene heater, all that has to be outside or vented. The kerosene heaters were designed for construction sites to get warmth when you're outside. They were not designed to be inside. If you're going to use an inside type heater that has uh, fossil fuel, that would have to be natural gas. Okay, so there's definitely, uh, and you need to comply with whatever the instructions say. These generators, these gasoline generators, all say for outdoor use only, unless you peel off the sticker that says that. Um, it is it is highly important, and it has been a problem in our area as it, as it has been across the country. We'll get back to some of these things, but we have some calls coming in. I want to take as many of the calls as we can. So let's go to that first call. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, hi. I'm so pleased to that you took my call. I have a question. I live in a row house, and the basement is, if you consider the basement the first floor, that's where the furnace is. Then there are four additional floors. The forced air furnace gas is in the yeah. basement. There is an apartment on the next floor, and that is where all the air return is. So what kind of filtration, what would I have to do in terms of filtration to protect the family, my family, above and the top okay, so let me from the apartment, which has the air return in it, which is different people living in? Okay, so you live on the third floor, but the return air is on the first floor. Well, I live on the second, is... third, and fourth floor, and the return is in the first floor, and the basement is yeah. in the and the furnace is in the yeah, cellar. The... It's 155,000 mm -hmm. BTU, 2200 CFM. Yeah. The, what you can do is get a, um, you can get a filter with a higher rating. That would be one thing you can do. But the air return, there's nothing you can do additional to protect your family because you can't really put filters on the, on the supply side because that means you will probably most likely stifle the air from coming in at all. Right, this um, goes directly in the furnace. It's the Bryant furnace. The, yeah, it goes. Yes, yeah, the filter feeds to the furnace, and then the air is reheated and then distributed through the supply ductwork. Correct. The filter's inside the furnace. Right. So it's really doing the job. The biggest problem with having that single return in the on the first floor is you don't get as good a return. Of We're air doing fine. We get a great return. That's not the problem. It's a big, it's a yep. big uh, air flow. But I don't know what type the, of filter is. My plain fiberglass filter okay? Or do I need a MERV filter? Well, you, the higher, the highest MERV number you can get that the equipment says is allowed is what you should put in. Right. They don't you say can. anything. I call them up. They say the installer should know. 
Okay. Well, then I then one would have to do some research on that. Right. Is um, a MERV eight sufficient to protect you? A MERV eleven? Which is well, the none MERV of that none of none of infections? Well, none of these are actually designed to. Uh, none of these are actually designed to be, um, you know, medical grade filtration of of, uh, of uh, germs and other biological material. It's really designed to just get dust out of the air, so it doesn't no, contaminate. No, use MERV thirteen and MERV eleven. Yeah, I mean the the biggest problem with using higher MERV, the highest MERVs is you can put too much strain on the on the on the air handler. And right. so I've, that that's been told that I can use up to a MERV thirteen, but you can't get them right now. So what's the lowest MERV number that would be the best to protect my family right now? I'm gonna I don't mean to be snarky, whatever the highest, lowest number you can get. Right. And the and the is there a problem with just having the uh, the filter in there, the fiberglass filter? No. No. The uh the filtration of the fiberglass whether it's a fiberglass filter or a foam filter, whatever the MERV rating is, is what is is what the factor is. Right, but I just have a simple, uh, you know, fiberglass filter. It doesn't that's, have any. Big that's what MERV. all the, but that's what all the higher MERVs are also fiberglass filters. Uh, so, they have a some of them are paper. Kind of a paper. Some of them have a medium. Folder. Right, they some have a, some have more. They have a paper fiber medium. Right now, it's going to catch whatever it can catch. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, what else is your alternative? My alternative is to get a higher level of uh, MERV filter. Right, which you now, can't. And they're going to come right. over and check what the best one would be, but I'd like to know your opinion of the minimum MERV to protect yourself. I am, I'm going to say um, I'm not equipped to answer that question because that's not my area of expertise. I'm not a, I'm not a hygienist. Okay, uh-huh. so okay. I don't want to answer that. I'm just but, saying that you know, get get the highest that you can get. That doesn't. Blow and out my I would rec- I recommend the 13, which is the highest you can get. That would right. not would not damage your equipment. Right. Thank okay. you so much for your call. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, we'd be taking calls at two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. If you want to join the conversation, two one two two zero nine. Two eight seven seven. This brings to mind the the whole matter of heating units, uh, which need to be checked right now, cleaned, adjusted, uh, water heaters as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, there are some listeners have wood burning fireplaces. Is this the time for them to start having all those things checked out? Well, yeah, uh, wood wood burning fireplaces uh, are. Uh, are all over the all over the country. Even in high rise buildings, they have wood burning fireplaces. On the ones that were built during the 1930s and the early 1940s, the idea is that a lot of people start up a fireplace that they don't know they come into usage and they don't open up the damper on the top, and they also don't have someone check the flue clearance throughout the chimney. If a fireplace has not been used for a long time, you don't know whether birds have nested inside Mm. there or squirrels or other animals. So if a fireplace is not used for a long time, you have to get a a chimney sweep, somebody that knows about how to take care of the flu and make sure that it's clear and all of the devices, the intake air out and and the venting to the flu is open and free of any debris and is working. And how often should you have the fireplace and and the chimney that uh, goes up from the fireplace 
checked out and cleaned. So I, my recommendation on that is if you use it once a year, once a year you should oh, have that, it checked. that soon. Yes, hmm. yes, because if you use it a lot, the buildup of creosote in the flu can cause a flu fire, and that's terrible. Um, you want to have at least once every two years a level two chimney sweep inspection done, which is a cert- which a certified chimney sweep comes in does a level two inspection, and that will uh, determine the you know how clean or dirty the chimney is, if there are any uh, cracks in the flue liner, and if there are any other anomalies like the damper is not working or the damper has become dislodged. And check also the hearth for any cracks in the hearth bricks and the fire bricks or refractory bricks, as they're known, to uh, verify that none of the ashes and embers will migrate through the chim- through the fireplace and cause a fire into the framing <clears throat> below, especially with the old townhouses where these in the old townhouses and brownstones where these fireplaces were not built to any particular code whatsoever. So, I mean, there are, I mean, I've told the story of, of quite a few times, and it, it definitely bears a retelling, is that uh, a client of mine was doing and uh, was cleaning out her fireplace, and one of the bricks was loose, and she pulled the brick out, and on the other side of the brick was wallpaper from the adjacent property. So the diff- the, the, these uh, fireplaces and chimneys in old townhouses and brown ho- brownstones should be inspected, especially if you use them. If you don't use them, you don't need to have them inspected. But if you haven't used it for a while and you say, wow, I want to have a fire, don't just light mm. up the fireplace. You want to have it checked out first by a professional to make and, sure that it's clean and, and that it's safe. And keep a fire extinguisher nearby. Uh, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. Uh, I have a question that not to do with fireplaces, but I live in a walk-up, a brownstone on the Upper East Side, what used to be called Yorkville. And uh, mm-hmm. in our building, we have a basement, of course, and the basement door most of the time is locked. But at times, when you're looking down or when you have reason to go down there, uh, there's piles of debris, dirt. There's uh, mm-hmm. roach infestation. The back mm-hmm. of that area is full of uh, hanging loose BX cables and things of that nature. Is that a violation, and should that be reported? Well, the, also, if, well, also the stairs leading really up and down is very rickety. If, if you, and it's if a wooden you, stairs. And if, if, if there is a problem, who should he call? If, if, you, if you live in a multiple dwelling, in other words, a building that has three tenants or greater, like up to mm-hmm. 100 tenants. This is a five-story building. There's four apartments on each floor. So that, oh. that kind of a building is under the jurisdiction of, of, of the multiple dwell under the multiple dwelling law. And you can call either the health department. You can call uh, 311 and tell them that there is dirt in, in that area. You can call the buildings department. You, there are many agencies that you can call if there is something that even has a sense of possibly causing an accident or causing some danger 
whether it be uh, physical or even health-wise, whether it's garbage, whether it's debris. These agencies that the city has are fabulous. They will but, um, I suspect that uh, people are afraid they're going to get into a, a war with their landlord. Well, that's, that's the exactly. landlord's problem. No, that's the landlord's problem. You are protected. When you, when you call them, you're not only calling them for your own safety, but the safety of your neighbors in other apartments throughout the building. Because a, a landowner or agent is, is neglectful about taking care of the building in a safe and sanitary way doesn't mean that you should be afraid. Don't be afraid of that person. Be cognizant of the defect and call the agency that is going to help you. 311, call them and yeah. let them know that there is a defect. I have one other question for you. If you do make one of those calls to one of those various agencies, do you have to give your name and uh, Not, specify that you are tenant and what's what floor, et cetera, and so on? Well, that's okay. Don't be afraid. That's the problem. Well, actually, People... actually, I'm going to say, I'm, let's answer this. I don't know if you do because I have to say when I do, uh, when I go over the building's department records for various different buildings, you'll see a complaint, and the complaint sometimes mm -hmm. says anonymous. So the mm -hmm. complaint, you don't necessarily have to uh, sign on to the complaint just because you don't want to say who you are doesn't mean the net, doesn't mean the defect or the health condition doesn't exist. So um, I would start with 311, go from there, and if you feel out of place about, uh, if you feel concerned about giving a name because of retaliation from landlords, which landlords have been known to retaliate in many ways. Um, well, I, I know my landlord, and I'm sure he would. <laughs> That's right. Sorry about that. And I, no, no. I, that, Dad, I'm just going to say. Um, there's a line. It's very, it's very easy to tell on someone else's focus. So I'm going to say mm -hmm. that if you feel that you're endangering yourself and that you'll be at risk, you've got to go the way. Because even though there are laws to protect um, tenants from landlord abuse, that doesn't really help when the landlord is actually abusing you. So um, I would say try with the anonymous way first and go from there. Okay? I have one, good one luck. last question. For you, um, or one last statement. Uh, there is a small restaurant, a pizza restaurant, on the ground floor here, and they uh -huh. are occupying the front section of the building, that mm -hmm. area of the basement, and they have a door sealing off their area into mm -hmm. the rest of the basement. And after yes. you re come through their door, or when you're coming down the steps, and you look at the door from the stairway or from the floor as you get down, it's constantly loaded with various things, chairs, tables, various things, metal tables, uh, steel washing Go tables, etc. and point? so on. So it's impossible, I would imagine, if there was a fire for a fire mm -hmm. department to get through one section or the other without moving all of that stuff out of the way. Isn't that another mm -hmm. violation? It could be. That, that's, um, that that's could be a violation. Call, call, that you call the fire, fire department fire. about. Yeah. Uh, okay, you're Alvin, talking you against each other. Could you Alvin, say that again? He, he said call the fire department. That sounds like a serious violation. Yeah. The fire department would seems be to a, act more very quickly. A violation for the fire department? 
call the fire department and tell them that there's a fire door that is blocked. They will come down immediately. Really, they 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 function very quickly because not only they want to protect the health and well-being of the people in the building, but they also want to uh, protect the well health and well-being of their own firemen. Well, if they have to come yes. to that building. So and I don't think you'd have to give your name because you could just have noticed it as you were passing by. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. And, and thank you so much. And a reminder that our number here, if you want to speak to Alvin and Lawrence Hubel, the uh, of uh, Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York, our number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Guests today on Leonard Lopate at Large are Alvin and Lawrence Hugh Bell, and we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877 if you have any home repair issues. If, For example, right now, uh, because we are going into uh, colder months, uh, people who have uh, private homes also have outdoor air conditioning compressors. Uh, and. Uh, I wonder what happens. Are they okay when it uh, when it's raining heavily, uh, cold, the sleet is coming down, or when snow comes down? Should should they be covered for the winter? No, well, actually, uh, well, go ahead, go ahead, Lawrence. Okay, thanks. Yeah, Lawrence. They don't, need to be, they don't need to be covered because they are designed to be outside. The mm -hmm. thing is, is that um, my feeling is that especially if it's if it's the round ones with the fan at the top, for me, mm -hmm. I would just get a I would just get a garbage can lid, and uh, and and a couple of bungee cords and bungee corded on top of that opening, so leaves and debris don't fall in during the fall and the winter. If it's one of the vertical ones like the uh, Mitsubishi's and the Denkins and the ones where the fans are on the side and the top is just a metal is just a metal housing, then those you don't have to do anything to. You just leave them alone. Covering them up can actually cause more problems because moisture gets in and it just sits in there, and then mm -hmm. it causes corrosion and oxidation of the different components that are inside there. Again, going back to the first thing, they, my first statement is that they were designed to be outside. So they need to breathe. They need to dry out when they get wet. And uh, I think that it's uh, less is more here. Okay, well, uh, mm -hmm. that's good to know. Uh, are there any other things that uh, private home owners should know be, uh, as they make the adjustment into the, the fall season, uh, other than, uh, for example, uh, dealing with falling leaves? Well, I think that now is your time 
Sorry for the noise on the outside. Um, now is your time to really start getting your heating equipment and domestic hot water heater uh, tune-ups. This would be the time because we're really right in between the two seasons. We're not really using air conditioning anymore. We're not using heat. It would be a good time to get all the all the heating contractors who really write heating and air conditioning contractors who really have a, much less to do these days because you know all this equipment tends to have its most problems when it's the hottest out, and so it would be a good idea to get those tune-ups done. Uh, before the season even starts, and that way they can bleed out the system if it's a hot water system and uh, clean out the the boiler. It's a steam system, and do the things they need to do, and I and or just do the tune up on a forced air system, change the filter, and and make sure that the uh, humidifier is working properly. And so this would be the good time to do that. And what about well, checking it, windows well, and doors because uh, air leakage can be a big issue. Well, as far as windows and doors are concerned, it's, there are all kinds of new kinds of uh, weather stripping that if your build doors or windows don't have the weather stripping around it or they're loose, you can p- apply these weather stripping strips that you can find in most of the hardware stores and home centers. And uh, they're pretty easy to go up, uh, place them in because they have usually a pressure-sensitive uh, adhesive that you pour, pay, peel off a piece of tape and it sticks right to where you have to do it. If you can, prov- if you can reduce the air filtration into the building or out of the building, whatever the case might be, you'll, sa- you'll be more comfortable and you'll save a considerable amount of energy. So on the window thing, Leonard, you were talking about the rattling of the windows. Well, there are a couple of things that we, we need to know before we discuss the rattling. The rattling usually happens if you don't lock the window. If the window is locked and the latch turns and the window still rattles, then you need to do something to stop that. Because if it is rattling at that point, that means air is slipping around the uh, window. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to say that if we're talking about rattling windows, we're talking about windows that are somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 to 50-year-old plus windows. Because any window that was installed within the last 30 years has... Uh, tracks on them, which would prevent them from rattling that way. So we're talking about older windows. That being said, if you have those older windows and you also have storms and screens on the outside, this would also be a good time to make sure those storms and screens operate properly, that all the glass is intact, and that the upper and lower glass can slide into its proper position. I'm going to say something so radical that actually an older wood window and a, a proper working and position storm and screen insulates way better than a uh, Peller, Anderson, Acorn, Marvin, or any of the newer uh, double-glazed windows that have two panes of glass because with the storm and screen, the triple-track storm and screen, you have a bigger dead airspace. So if you can make sure all of these systems work together, you will be able to save a lot of energy. Now that I've said that, we also have to realize that windows in general are a major heat loss. The R value of the average single-glaze window is an R1, which is the lowest number there is. And the average heat loss of a double-glaze window is an R2. And you're saying, well, that's double. I said, yeah, but two cents is double one cent. And so that's where you are. You have a ton of heat loss here. And so to get, if you really want to make the place warmer and feel warmer, shades, curtains, blinds, clothes during the winter will help 
slow the air loss and the heat loss down a bit, and that will be very effective also. Our number here, if you want to speak to Alvin and Larry, is 212-209-2877. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. There's a little bit of a, a lag, so sometimes people get a bit confused. But go ahead. <laughs> Are you still there? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, caller, call listen to the phone rather than the radio. Okay. Are you listening to the phone, caller? Okay, we're going to go to the next call. Yeah. Okay, let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Are we having the same problem? Could you listen to your phone and not the radio? Because uh, the radio is on delay. And so some listeners get a little confused. I'm the first guy. I'm on the phone. I'm still on the phone. Okay. Okay, go ahead. All right, about the carbon monoxide that yes. you mentioned. In my building, they put these new 10-year uh, detectors in. I, I don't know if that's a city law or not, but uh, you don't change the batteries. You don't do anything. It's good for 10 years. Uh, maybe your guests want to discuss that. I'm sure they're familiar with it. Uh, well, new, new what, remedy, did you, what, what did they put in the building? I'm sorry. I'm having trouble hearing. Uh, he he said a 10-year carbon monoxide detector, and you don't change yeah. the battery or anything. You just let it sit there for 10 years. That's correct. And that's okay. That, that is the standard right now of the industry. That, that was the big thing is to get it to last for 10 years. Um, my big issue with uh, carbon monoxide detectors and smoke detectors is that the only smoke detectors I like are the photoelectric smoke detectors, which have a failure rate of approximately 4%, which is very low, as opposed to the ionization smoke detectors, which have a failure rate of between 55 and 60%. So it really renders it kind of useless. And, the and they go off. Is, they go off every time you cook, don't they? Right. Yeah. That, that's what we call a nuisance alert, which is also uh, horrible because it gives you a false sense of security yeah. that it actually works. So it goes off when you burn toast, but when your mm -hmm. couch is actually on fire, it won't go off. Why? Because oh, the couch boy. is burning. The couch is a, a coarse particulate matter, and it, it doesn't see that. But the burnt toast is a fine well. mist. And it does see that. So that's another thing. As far as carbon monoxide detectors are concerned, carbon monoxide detectors should actually be as close to the floor as possible because when the temperature in the room is above 70 degrees, uh, carbon monoxide settles to the floor and does not go up to the ceiling. So you really, oh. want, you, know, you really want those close to the floor. So that's another thing to take into consideration. You can tell what kind of smoke detector you have by taking the smoke detector off the cradle and reading the back label. And if it says anything about ionization smoke detector, if it says anything about radioactive material or, or americurium-241, then you know you have an ionization smoke detector and you should swap it out for a photoelectric smoke detector. Okay, Keller, does that help? Are the 10-year ones come both ways? But, well, well, the problem is, is that Yes, they do. They do make 10-year photoelectric combination carbon monoxide and smoke detector. But the trouble is they, they always put them up high, right? That's where you put right. the smoke so detector up high. Right, and you want your carbon monoxide detector down low. So what I recommend 
is a separate carbon monoxide detector, especially a low-level carbon monoxide detector, ah, uh-huh. and you install that next to the floor in your sleeping area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, my guy, my I, my guy put in two of them. Maybe I'll put one by the floor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. There's a there's, there's a company called Defender, and they make a low-level carbon monoxide detector. It's called the Defender 6010, and I have one uh, of those sitting right next to my bed. Yeah, they put their first alert in some bro. I don't know which model, but that was the first yeah. alert they put in. And by the way, another thing: when you do push the button on the smoke detector to see if it works. All that's telling you is the battery works. It doesn't tell you that the actual smoke detector works. Right, but this should be good for 10 years, right? Yeah, it should be. Because in the classic one is when the, when the uh, people die in a fire, there's no battery in the smoke detector. I think that's one Well, that's because, they, that's because they're probably ionization smoke detectors, and they took the batteries out because it was so annoying. Because it went off every time they cooked. Well, I used to, I so used to make... When I make chicken, I used to call it smoke detector chicken. When the alarm yeah. went off, I knew it was done. Yeah. Well, that's, the, that, well, that's what my mother used to say. Dinner's ready when the smoke detector goes off. <laughs> Thank but you anyway. so much for your call and <laughs> for making me laugh. Let's Hi, go to another call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead. Hey, what's up? You hear me? Uh, yes. Now- Al, were you uh, doing uh, building inspections back in 71? Yes, Alvin was doing uh, home inspections in 71. Why? Did he inspect yeah. your house for you? Yes, you inspected my house <laughs> almost 50 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I'm uh, in a double limestone, a family in Park Slope building I was living in, and we were considering buying it, and we got, we asked you to come. And you came, and you, like, raced through the place. And we're like, he's awfully fast. (laughs) But you noticed the chippiness thing. I mean, you noticed everything. It was pretty, it was really wild. But uh, then you said to us, are you going to rent, or are you going to co-op? And we said, oh, co-oping is in Manhattan. And you said, no, co-oping has already come to the heights. And sure enough, almost all the buildings of my ilk on this block are co-opted. But so I wanted to thank you. And another thing you said to us was that we're still, we were still on, uh, believe it or not, uh, fuses, fuses, fuses. And uh, you said you have to have this electric system modernized or... This, this is a fire waiting to happen. So if you can't scrape together an extra five thousand, don't buy the building. <laughs> and we took all your you took your, your advice, and that I'm still happily here. <laughs> That's and making a call to our show, and we really appreciate that. Is there anything else you want to add before I go to another call? Well, I recommend your services to <laughs> Okay. Bye, gals. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you again. That's great. Bye. Take care. Now, that was not expected that we were, you were going to get an endorsement, but <laughs> my guests are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell, better known as Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York, uh, and uh, regulars on this show where people call us at 212-209-2877 to get their expert advice. I think that there's another call waiting. Is there? 
Yes. Yes, but I just okay. I just want to answer I just want to answer the last phone caller that yeah. I don't race through I don't race through the house. I take my time. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what you're looking for. <laughs> well, it's also in 1971. I think my father was only like 30, 35, maybe 30. You know, he was younger then. I'm a little older than that now, so I take my time. (laughs) Okay, well, let's take another call. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, okay. Okay, wait a minute. No, 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 you want to know. Wait, wait, wait. Anthony and Janine, I'm going to put my husband on. It's on my phone. Hi, Leonard. Hi. Okay, here, here. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon, gentlemen. What's the question? What's up? Can you hear me, sir? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, very good. Yeah, so listening to uh, all the do's and don'ts made me feel good because I, I'm, a, I'm a landlord in the Cal Gardens, and um, I have a mixed-use property. And I, I, because I was a carpenter by trade, I always try to make sure my, my house is airtight in the winter and, and, and no drafts in the winter and, and try to keep it cool in the summer. But... Be, but here's my question, like, with, in front of the house, because my house is right on the street, when you, you know, when you get out of my house, you have the sidewalk right there. And with the, there's a coffee shop next to me. And what's been happening is, you know, I can't get the coffee shop all the time to get the people to go to the opposite corner, the opposite way into the line. And I have people standing in my doorway and all along my house. I mean, do I have any kind of right to a landlord to say, please? And sometimes they're smoking right in front of where my door is, and the smoke comes through the door. If you, if you can picture a, a you know, two-story with a, with a uh, commercial property right underneath it, can you, can mm-hmm. you, say, you understand that problem? I do, but I'm – is this something that has been going on always? Hello? Or is, just, or, is this something that's been going on always, or is something recent because of the COVID issues that we have? Hello? Yeah, can you hear Hello? me? Are you people listening on the phone? If you're listening on the radio, it becomes very confusing. Hello? Yeah. yeah can you hear well, us? I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Well, the question was, is this a new problem, or is this some, or is this something because of COVID, or is this something that's been a problem for a long time? Well, uh, actually, in a sense, it's because of COVID, because in the past, people could wait inside. You could have six or seven people online in a coffee shop. But now, you know, mm-hmm. you only want one person at the time. So now, yes, because of COVID, there's always a line. And I try to direct them to go to the side of the property that, where that, you know, that building is. It's the first building off the corner. So that property belongs to that landlord, whether that coffee shop is a tenant. And I'm well, asking can I ask you a question? People, please don't put your line from my house. Go the other way. And sometimes there are people... Sitting on my step, that one step into Ooh. my house, or smoking a cigarette, then it's like every day I got to come out and be the bad cop. Yeah, I, I got, I, I understand what your issue is. Have you spoken to the owners of the coffee shop? Yeah, I can't hear him now. <laughs> he wonders if you've spoken to the owners of the coffee shop. Uh, yes, I have, and and what they haven't done, like, well, I don't understand why, because this coffee shop, they're all over. Brooklyn and Park Slopes. What they haven't done is what all the other stores do. They put markings on the ground, mm. the six feet marks. You know, I don't want to be like uh, I'm here. I'm here over fifty years in this building, so it's not a. You know, I'm a new person. I've been Cal Gardens. I'm an original in a sense, but there's no markings. Like I, I have to tell them, you know, why don't you put the six foot markings so that people know which way the line is generated from? I'm going to tell you. 
my my advice to you is I would call up your city council person or your state assembly or senator. I'll, because I'll call Brad. Those, I'll, you know what? I'll drop Brad Land at the time. You know what? I got to tell you, that's the kind of stuff that they deal with. Because what are he saying? Okay. Uh, okay, uh, Leonard. Tell okay. him what I just I'm gonna, said. I'm gonna, I'm gonna he says that you should call your your borough, your your local councilor because that's the sort of thing that they deal with. And unfortunately, we've kind of run out of time now. Uh, but thank you for your call, and of course, my special thanks to Alvin and Lawrence Ubell. Always a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, so I look for forward to us. seeing you in in a couple in a few weeks. I guess about a month and a half from now. I hope so. I hopefully we'll get to see each other sometime soon. Yeah. You know? Well, let's let's hope we actually can see each other in, in actually face to face instead of just through the phones as we are nowadays. But thank you again. It's always been and, a and it's a lot of fun to be with you guys. So, go well. Whatever you're not going to say your usual outro, which is great. Uh, which brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, if you're new to our program and you'd like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and anywhere else that podcasts are available. And you can also find links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. And if you would like to comment on any of our shows or if you just want to say hello, you can reach me by email at LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. That's Lopate is spelled L-O-P-A-T-E. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just a few minutes to ask you to support the station. If you care about uh, Leonard Lopate at Large and all the other great programs on WBAI, we need your help to get back uh, on our feet after this pandemic has made uh, our situation really difficult. And uh, we uh, ask you to, to go to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 to help keep this show and the station on the air. And one great way to support WBAI without having to lay out a lot of money all at once is to become a BAI buddy. Uh, they are listeners who contribute $10 or more each month to keep the station running and to show their support for what we do on this show. Uh, whatever you're comfortable donating on, the important thing is that you do it now to show your support and help us get through these tough times. Uh, big thanks to everyone who has stepped up so far to, uh, to support the show. We don't take foundation grants or run ads. We're 100% reliant on the generosity of listeners like you. So if you haven't already, please make that call, 516-620-3602, or go online to give to WBAI.org. And we hope that you will tune in again tomorrow when Drs. Megan E. Heron, Deborah F. Horowitz, and Carlo Siracusa from the American College of Veterinary and Behaviorists discuss their new book, Decoding Your Cat, The Ultimate Experts Explain Common Cat Behaviors and Reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones. And we'll be taking your calls. See you then.